All right, so um, what we try and do last Sunday of every month is do a little testimony and a story where people come and share their real stories. And we've, we've heard different um, stories um, and different characters have come and been able to share. So I'm going to uh, ask Claire. For those of you who don't know, Claire is, is lucky enough to be my wife. Very blessed. <laughs> Too blessed to be stressed. That's what she is, isn't um, But before she was my wife, um, she was well, had a whole life um, growing up as a, as, a, as a daughter of a pastor involved in, in the ministry life of a pastoral family. So I really wanted Claire to be able to come and, and share her story a little bit and hopefully be a help and a benefit to us this morning. So take us to the start, Claire. And, 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 and lead us. Where did it begin? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So I was born into, I was the first child of my mum and dad, and at that time we were living in Belfast. Uh, mum and dad at that point were in a church in Belfast, just serving, but getting ready to go into the ministry, I believe, uh, at that point when I was born. Okay. So at what age did, were you, did they go straight into ministry at that point then? Um, so, have you, so all you've ever known is parents that are pretty, in ministry? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I mean, my mum didn't miss a service, I don't think, whenever she had me. I think it was at the first service after I was born. So, um, right from the get-go, church was the what our whole home centred around in terms of routine. You know, you had church, you had midweek, you had the different meetings that went on. and um, mm. So, yeah, that was the focal, focal point of, of our family routine, really. Okay. So how did that impact you in your day-to-day as a, as a you know, in, in those early years? Um, did, you, did you see it? Did you feel it as a, as a young person, you know, primary school age, early primary school age? I think when, when you're born into a church family, um, it's like an extended family. So I remember very fond memories. Um, when, when I was about one... Uh, we moved to the south of Ireland where my dad commenced his first um, ministry there in a church um, in Dublin. And so I just remember as a young child being part of this big family, which was really nice, um, really positive memories of kids clubs, Sunday school, outings. Um, so yeah, as a, as a young child, I don't have any negative memories of, of be, being in a Christian home or in a church setting. So, family went to Dublin. Uh, how long in Dublin? Um, so, I think we were, I was eight or thereabouts when we returned back to Northern Ireland. And when I was about f- four-ish, four or five, um, I remember as, at, that ch- at, at that age being very mindful of um, the gospel in, the very, in a very childlike sense. So... Um, if, if, you're, if you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, if you haven't asked him to save you from your sins, you know, you're not going to be able to go to heaven. You're, you're going to go to hell when you die. And um, just a very basic understanding of the gospel. And, and so at that age, um, I made a profession of faith at that point. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to um, know Jesus and have him in my life. So at that young age, I made that, that decision um, just in a very childlike way, really. Mm. So the move, talk to yeah. me about the move. So the move 
came whenever my mum and dad were called back to their original church in Belfast to take over the ministry there. So that's, um, so I was about eight. You're about eight. So how did that impact you then, up, up in sticks and moving from having seven odd years in Dublin? It was really hard, but I remember, I remember seeing my dad cry for the first time, actually, and still remember it to this day, when he was telling the church that we were, we were moving on. And I remember as a child being just horrified at how, not horrified, just really, like, upset at how upset he was. Um, I'd never seen him cry, and he, he was weeping like a baby. Um, so it was a big move for him and my mum. And obviously, at that point, I had... Were they tears of joy to get away from that congregation? No, or were they? no, okay. they were very, very sad tears. Very sad tears. Um, at that point, I also had my younger sister, Rachel, had been born. Um, I can't remember when Michaela had been born. Michaela had been born then, hadn't you? I can't remember when Michaela had been born pre. I think she was. She was, wasn't she? It's yeah, so Michaela had been born as well. So there was three girls. Um, and, but I remember having to leave my primary school and my primary that was really hard because I really loved my teacher mm. um, and I had my friends and things and so that was, that was hard. Okay, so you make the move because part of a, being part of a ministry family is pastors are called and they move. Um, so you move to Belfast. Um, just, just on that move and, and, and how you felt that, it, is that helped you in ministry in your moves the moves that we when I say your moves the moves that we've done together in terms of the children it has um, I think it's it's made me more aware of the decision making process because I think back back then children I don't think were um, not just with mum and dad but generally children weren't overly consulted in decision making and you were more or less told you know hey kids we're moving and so we would go and, and there wasn't really time or opportunity for you to say, well, I don't want to move or, you know, I don't like that idea or whatever. Uh, so I think with our own kids, we've tried to integrate that more mm. in, in terms of involving them because they're part of the family yeah. and yeah. they need to have a say. Yeah. And I think that's been an intentional thing for us as a family. Um, you know, in, in these decisions to, to not shield the children from everything. I think, personally speaking, and every parent, you, know, you make your choices in this, but there's good shielding, there's bad shielding. And sometimes we need to let our kids know what's going on. Because possibly, as Claire's maybe highlighted, that when they don't feel part of it and dragged along, it becomes hard to understand or invest in, in what's going on, particularly in ministry, in ministry, in ministry life. So you've moved to, moved to Belfast, and then what you're going to tell us now is your dad moves to a ministry in Belfast, you move into Belfast, and you go from strength to strength in your Christian walk, and there's no bumps along the way. Well, initially, I mean, I'm only eight, so there's only so much trouble you can get to, up to when you're eight. Um, so when, when we moved to North, back to Belfast, we got stuck into the church there. Again, that felt very much like a family um, and so right through then to the, to the end of primary school, really. Um, as, as I headed on into that, those last year, that last year of primary school, I think I started to get, reach that tween stage 
where you become more aware of boys and um, you know stuff that's going on outside of the family home or outside of church. But certainly, um, it was relatively settled. settled. Yeah. What about home life in terms of the ministry impact on the tug of you know um, the demands of a ministry on a pastor versus your kind of view of that as a as a child growing up through that. Um, I think as a as a ministry kid or a pastor's kid, you do see the other side. Of, of what you people here might not see of the pastor, um, of the, the stress or the pressure they're under, of the weight that they carry, um, of the trouble that comes with that sometimes. And so, I, again, mum and dad were very careful not to involve us. We would never have known the ins and outs of any of the drama or if there was something going wrong in church. We would never have known who said what or who did what. Right. But we could see the impact of that and we could see the weight that 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 would cause sometimes. Did you ever resent the church? I think certainly as I got older I did. Um, I think when you become more aware of what your dad does and how, how many people rely on him, you can start to feel maybe that you're not as important um, or that you know, in the, in the scheme of priorities, maybe you're not in the same position as a non-pastor's kid, you know, as normal kids might be to their parents. And that's not saying that that was true, but that's how it felt, would have felt sometimes, yeah. Okay, Does it, did that start to play into any of your behavioral stuff? So I think moving into secondary school um, really, opened the door for to see exactly what was going on outside of you know church life and home life and um, lots of different opportunities shall we call them um, presented themselves quite quickly in uh, when I went into secondary school so I think combining the opportunities with my desire to be myself and to be my own person and not to be you know who I am because daddy tells me who I am or because the church says I have to be this way. You know, those two things ming mingled together um, were mm. a combination to be worried about, I think. So we, would, would it be fair to say that you were struggling with identity? Yes, mm. yeah. And so the identity that you had, you felt, was the identity that had been given to you? Yes. Rather than... Yeah. You understand it for yourself. So reflectively, just looking at that and, and being helpful and, and, and not being critical, but trying to be helpful, what are the ways that we as a church or you know, parents of, 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 of children that are growing up within the church, what could, we, what could have been done better, do you think, at that time to help you a little? Understanding that, that there's not just some prescriptive method that can you know, prevent anything, but are there things that could have been done better? And if so, what do you think reflectively that might be? Um, I think I always felt that children who were, so I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about my, me. So I always felt that myself 
I was perhaps held to a higher standard of expectation than other children in the same church at the same age. Mm. Um, I, was, I felt that I was expected to behave better, to know more, um, you know, to have a better attitude. Right. And kids are kids, and we're not known for um, being angels all of the time, no matter who your daddy is. Yeah. And so I think some are worse than others. Some are worse than others. Some are worse than others. But I think that that freedom, just to be who you are, um, and to be loved for who you are, rather than loved for who you, they think you should be or who you right. must be because of who your daddy is. I think that's a biggie. And, and I have to say, in the churches that we've pastored or you've pastored and we've been in so far, I, ha- I haven't felt that burden being placed on our kids which is a real blessing actually because that was one of the biggest fears I had of going into the ministry right right and I think that 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 standard we expect I can just say this we, we, we pick and choose who and what we expect the standards from and the message of grace is that it's not about standards. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and who we are in him. And in him, we develop, as we walk with him, Christ-likeness, which others might see as standards. But for the church, it should be Christ-likeness. It's grace. And, you know, that is, Claire's touched on it, a big thing that she was worried about. Just that she would be our kids would be put in that, that, that goldfish bowl. You're pastors. You should know better. You should be this. You should be that. Each and every one of us, from pastor to pastor's child, is a sinner with a sin nature. But God. But God. So that you can see the, 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 the impact that that kind of mentality had in Claire. Because... What we'd like to talk about now, so let, let's move it on, is, is that's the fostering, that's the seed of not knowing who you are in Christ and, and, and just being constantly held up to a standard that you're not hitting. And the general reaction to that is, is to fall further away from it or rebel against it because you're like, why, why can I never hit this? There must be something wrong with this whole thing. That's, that's the kind of mentality. So... Let's talk about how that then impacted some of your thoughts and actions and behaviours as a, as a team. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I'd overheard at one point in my teen years um, a phone call, which I shouldn't have overheard, but I did. And it was a, a member of the church, you know, really berating my dad and saying, you know, quoting that verse, how, like, I don't know for verbatim, right. but the verse that says, rule is it, how can you rule your own house? If you can't rule your own house, how can you run a ministry kind of thing? And I remember my dad trying to answer graciously and, and he, he sounded really sad and he sounded really upset. And, and it, in that moment, um, rather than feeling, I really need to sort myself out here and you know, pull my socks up and start behaving, it just made me more... No, I'm not going to, you know, it, it, I had such a stiff neck and I, had, I was like, the more you push me, and not every child is like that, but my character, my personality still is, to be fair. Um, if you, 
if you push me into doing something that I don't want to do, or you make me feel bad for it, I'm just going to crack on. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bend. And so the more that you know, the church were trying to shape me back into the the, the kid that they wanted me to be, and and, and my mom and dad wanted me to be the more I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going down that road. So the opportunities that came available to me as I got, you know, started secondary school and started choosing my own friends and choosing my own social events, um, whether that was in secret or not, you know, there was a lot of events that I went to that mum and dad didn't know anything about. Uh, you know, th- that was my choice. And so therein started a journey, really, of rebelliousness. And just whatever I could do, because I was still seen as different, even, even outside of the church. So in the church, I was seen as the pastor's kid who should be X, Y, and Z. And in the world, you know, in school or in the street, I was also seen as the pastor's kid. So I took a lot of stick for it. I took a lot of um, embarrassing and, you know, a lot of funny remarks and my dad had a habit of driving really embarrassing cars and so I got a lot of stick for that and at one point um, it was called the pastor mobile (laughs) and you know if we I was out with my friends and we had a a horrible habit of you know we would find a a street corner or an alley or an entry or whatever and we would congregate and so if they saw the car coming down the road you know pastor mobile's coming pastor so it was all very embarrassing and so I felt the, the requirement to, you know, if, if the crowd that I was in was going this far, I felt the need to go this far mm. because I wanted to, to be in that crowd. I wanted right. to be accepted. So you wanted to prove yourself? Yes, yeah. And really it didn't work. Okay. I was still the pastor's kid. Mm. Um, I was just the pastor's kid who would go the extra mile to prove that she wasn't. Um, so yeah, it, it, it fostered this sense of I'd go to church on a Sunday because I had no choice and I didn't feel, feel that I belonged there and then I would go out with my mates and try and do what I could to, to belong there and I never really felt that sense that I belonged there either and so where do I fit? Mm. And, I, and I, I didn't fit anywhere and that was really hard. So you're torn between two worlds? Yeah. Um... Thinking about the church's, you know, reaction to that, and although they were were approaching, you know, looking at it, trying to do things in the right way, maybe saying the right things in the wrong way or whatever, you know, how how did that kind of, how do you see that now in terms of this boundary between? what some people think of as control and other people will think of as care. You know, how, 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 how did that come across to you? Did it come across as, as care or did it come across no, as control? it didn't come across as care. It came across as control and it came yeah. across as um, people didn't like what I was doing and they didn't like it for a number of reasons. So one, they felt it showed um, my dad up mm. and, and it did and... Mm. and you know, I will be forever regretful of the damage that I did to his ministry, 
to his reputation and to the reputation of the church because I damaged the reputation of the church, you know. There's no doubt about it. Um, if people had seen me on the street on Saturday night and then seen me going into that church on Sunday, th there's no way they would have seen Jesus in that. Um, so they, they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that I wasn't doing as I was told because children need to do as they're told and young people need to do as they're told. And they didn't like it because um, it was an affront to them, I think, just that, that at, one, at one point, and, and I know why they did it now, but back then I, I really, really resented it. So I think I was 14, 15, and I was put in a room with the deacons. And the deacons were telling me, you know, if you don't sort yourself out, you're, you're going to be put out of the church, out of the membership. You can't be a member of the church. If, and looking back, I, think, I don't think that was right. I know why they did it, but I don't think it was right because it's, you know, one, I'm a, I'm a girl in this room with all these men telling me, you know, how bad it was or how wrong it was. And, and two, it didn't affect change because I did not feel loved mm. in that. I did not feel valued in that. I felt what was at risk was my church membership, mm. not my heart, not my life, not me, was my church membership. Right. So again, you know, from your experience, How, as a church, if we were to bring that Claire here with that situation, how, how, how can we practically, as a church, how, how would we do better in that? What would, what would have, maybe not fixed, but helped in that? Because, you know, we do have to have rules, we do have to have boundaries, um, but how do we make sure that these boundaries are policed in Christ's likeness? I think it's by achieving the balance of feeling loved and valued for you. So if you love, if I know that you love me, even though I knew my parents loved me and that wasn't enough. So I don't think even if those deacons and right. all the church had said, oh, we really love you, yeah. that that would have made a difference. But I think it might have brought me back sooner because... I wouldn't have had as much need to rebel against it because I wasn't being shoehorned. I wouldn't have felt as shoehorned as, as I was or as, as I felt. Um, so I think for them to know me and to love me and to be invested in my life, not just on a Sunday morning mm. um, or a Sunday night, That's good. but actually to know me on a Monday or to check in with right. me on a Tuesday or whatever it is, you know. And certainly those people that had the biggest impact on me in my teens and when I came back to the Lord were those adults who really loved me okay. and who really poured into me yeah. um, more than just a so church let's, member. Let's, let's talk about some of them. Just give me some examples of, of who they were, you know, kind of what, what their, their words were and what impact they had on you. So I remember, um, I can't remember why I was in trouble, but I was in big trouble <laughs> at home. I'd done something really bad, and I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was, it was bad. And um, so I was grounded for a substantial period of time. And so I, w I wasn't leaving the house for any reason other than to go to school. And I, I remember that a lady in church sent me a bunch of flowers. <laughs> and I'd never had flowers before, because I'm only like 14, 15, whatever. And I, I had this bunch of flowers come, just with a little note saying, um, we love you. Mm. And that was nice. 
that was because that showed me that she's seen me, not just the person that was doing all this damage. And I was doing damage, you know, that, mm. that's the thing. There was no way, getting away from that. The damage that I was doing to my body, um, to my family, to my church, to Jesus' reputation, to Jesus, to, to, the, to his reputation was profound. So the fact that somebody saw beyond that, just to say, love you, was, was a lot. That meant a lot. Isn't that the message of Jesus? You're loved. In your worst days, you're loved. In your best days, you're loved. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. But that, that lady saying that, that's Christ-likeness. It's not saying your behavior's okay. It's saying your behavior is not okay, but you're loved. You're loved. Okay, so that impacted you. Who else? What else? Um, I remember I didn't get sent to Dublin. <laughs> That's the wrong word. But I did go and stay with a couple in Dublin um, for, for a little... It was only like a week, but it, it was a really... Um, it was almost just to get me out of, the pla- out of the place for a while. Just go visit with this family, help them, you know, because they had a lot of kids, from what I can recall. And it was just a week to go and, you know, get out of Belfast, really. So I went for the week. Um, and I can't remember what age it was, but again, I think I must have been about 16, 15, 16. Maybe a little bit younger, I can't remember. But... Um, my auntie, they, it was not long after I'd had a mobile phone. Um, and again, my auntie just sent me a text saying, I love you. And there I am lying in this, this house where, um, you know, the, the people are lovely and, and they were very kind to me, but I'm in a strange bed um, in a family that's not mine and I'm, I'm licking my wounds because I feel really like, oh. Um, and then this text message just comes through. So again, it was just that reminder that you're loved um, that, was, that was really important. And, and I think just little things like that, because that's not a big thing. No. Um, but just little things like that to remind you that you're still loved no matter what you've done or um, to see beyond the chaos, really. Yeah. It's just gospel. It's gospel, gospel, gospel. And that's what we need. And it's the love of Christ that compels us. You know, how, how do we act in a different way? How do we live a different life? How do we, you know, plug into church and the community? It's the, it's the love of Christ. Every time. All the time. So, you know, and I know from your story, obviously, that, that your, your Auntie Sandra was a, um, a huge influence on you. Um, a little place for you to go, but if you just want to speak into quickly, just how she dealt with your behaviours, you know, in terms of you know what she said to you and how she said it. Um, so my auntie and my grandmother on my mum's side were both. Um, so quite often, if I was out with my friends and um, I'd had a drink or I'd been involved in something that I shouldn't have been, and I didn't want to go home. Um, I knew I could always go to my grandmother's, who was only a couple of streets down from where we were. So, and she would leave me a key. Um, and she knew if I was creeping in in the night, 
it was because I didn't want to go home. It wasn't because it was a prearranged sleepover. Um, but she would always leave me that key. And so again, even though they knew, they knew about the conflict with my mum and dad and they knew about, you know, the stuff that I was getting up to and the people that I was spending time with. And, um, but they still left the key. And so that always meant that I had somewhere to go if I, if I felt like I, I couldn't go home. Um, so I'd wake up next morning and I'd either be, you know, feeling rough from drink or rough from whatever I'd taken the night before and I was feeling very sorry for myself, you know, I would still come down and they wouldn't preach at me, they wouldn't, you know, hit me around the head with a Bible, even though they were both very godly ladies, you know, I'd, I'd come down and there'd be a cup of tea and there'd be something to eat and they would look after me. But they would always make clear what a wally I was being, you know, I was being an idiot. Um, but in a way that didn't make me think, oh, well, I'm not coming back here. Because it was just said in a way that I could take it rather than said in a way that made me get my back up. Um, my auntie was very straight talking. Um, and a little bit later on, I remember you and I had had a fallen out. And um, so I was obviously this heartbroken, just miserable person. And um, she'd, we were walking through the shopping centre at the time, and uh, I was moping. And she went, oh, for goodness sake, now you've been dumped. Get over it. <laughs> and uh, that was her. That was her. And she would, still, she would speak to me the same way about the Lord, you know, and she would say... You know, what you're doing is not pleasing the Lord. What you're doing is really hurting your mum and dad. What you're doing is really hurting you. You know, look at the state of you. There were some nights I would look like I'd been beaten up. And I hadn't been beaten up. It was just what I'd been doing on the night, you know. And um, and so they would challenge me, but they would challenge me in a way that I could hear it and not get my back up. Okay. So, you know... The other part of your story is, you know, getting back to the Lord and meeting your knight in chain and armor. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. But we're not going to, we're not going to, we'll, no. we'll deal with that another day. But just, just to wrap it up and, and really think about it, because I'm hoping you're hearing what the, what the Lord's bringing out about what true care looks like and that we speak the truth in love. So, thinking about your whole upbringing, you know, as, as part of a, a ministry family, um, you've talked about some of the blessings in there, you know. Maybe that you've shared with me previously that the things that you thought were burdens were actually blessings and that you get a bit older and you, you see it. Absolutely. People. You're thankful for it. But taking all your experience in the account, now, I say this very cautiously, so if Addison turns out to be another Claire, where is she? She won't. Don't she be won't. there. <laughs> um, how would you handle that? <laughs> <laughs> the, the honest answer is I don't know. Because when you're grown up and when you've matured from when you're a teenager, you realise that the things that... All those people that were trying to put boundaries in place, uh, mom and dad and the church, and, and the, I have no doubt those deacons loved me. Mm. I have no doubt. Um, so, 
There has to be boundaries, there ha because those are what keep us safe. Yes. And those are what keep us from making big mistakes. And a lot of the mistakes that I made have left me with, you know, emotional scars that mm -hmm. I will carry forever. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here that has those. Um, so I now know what my parents and the church and everybody was trying to save me from in terms of those poor decisions. And so our children still have rules and they still have boundaries and, and we're very clear about what they are. Um, but I might not, I might choose to see the person rather than the Christian first. Because if you, if you just look at somebody who you think, well, you should be a Christian and you should know better, you're not seeing the whole person. Um, and so I hope, and that, that's what, all I can say, I hope ever when the time comes, because we, we never know, do we, until we get to the circumstance. Yeah. But that's what I, I hope. Yeah. And that hope is not an alone hope. So what we're trying to do here at Milton is build community so that if one of our children goes off the rails, that there are people in here that are able to send a bunch of flowers, send a message and say, you're loved, put a duck on the end of it, it makes you feel better. To help us, the collective, do this well, and love well, and be Christ-like. And learn from experiences. You know, every experience is forming and shaping. And every experience has a positive aspect to it and it can have a negative aspect. We want to pick out the positives and we want to learn and grow in Christ. And remember that if we know him as saviour, no matter how we feel, no matter how we fall, we're loved. We're loved. I could talk to you all day, Claire. Fortunately, I'm going to have to because you're coming with me. But... Uh, it's been, I think the Lord has brought out that, that concept of, of, of love. And we didn't rehearse this. You know, we're coming down from Sunderland yesterday, and Claire's like, well, what, what do you want to talk about? And I basically said, we'll just talk about your early days. Because I wanted the Lord to bring out whatever he wanted to bring out. And it's that concept of, of love and well. So, you know, church, how do we do that together? And that takes some thought, takes some intention, takes some finding our balance, and it takes some sacrifice on all our parts to love well.